Welcome to Between the Lines, a podcast about sports and the law with your host, me, Gabe Feldman, director of the Tulane Sports Law Program and co-director of the Tulane Center for Sport. I'm joined again by Eric Blevins, the Tulane Sports Law Program Manager with our Sports Law Rundown, Unplugged, which basically just means I couldn't get the music to work. But we're going to give you everything we think you need to know about the latest developments in sports and the law. You give us 22 minutes, we'll give you the sports law world. Here we go. Welcome back to the podcast, Eric. Thanks, Gabe. Happy to be back. All right. Good small talk. Once again, setting a good tone for our conversation. We already talked about Notre Dame beating Duke in lacrosse on Monday, so I figured we could skip that. Fair. I appreciate that. It's very sensitive of you. Before we jump into the news, big update. The podcast will be changing names soon. Turns out that there are about 4,000 Between the Lines podcasts that are not mine. So we've got some rebranding in the works. We'll launch that. We're going to do this news update and then take about 10 days to do some renovations, construct, and then we'll have the exciting relaunch later this month. So in other news, it's hard to top that, but in other news, let's start with college sports because everything starts with college sports these days and in NIL in particular. And we now have another wave of states that are modifying their NIL laws in what's pretty blatantly and openly just an attempt to maintain recruiting or gain recruiting advantages over their neighboring states. And so last month, Missouri amended its NAL law to now allow schools themselves and school employees, including the coaches, to directly help athletes get NIL deals, to facilitate them, to introduce them, to to negotiate those deals on their behalf which was not permitted under the state's original NIL law and which was really what the NCAA was trying to avoid when it first considered introducing NIL was to keep the institutions out of this, make this between third parties and the athletes just about their NIL. And we've obviously now seen how that's morphed in a lot of cases to something completely different. There are still lots of legitimate NIL deals where athletes are getting paid to do endorsement deals. But we've also seen a lot of these collective or booster-driven deals where they're not even really disguised at this point, pay-for-play structures. And Ross Dellinger wrote a couple of really good pieces this week for Sports Illustrated. And in one of those, the an SEC athletic director said, let's be honest, this quote, we are all money laundering. So that's a pretty blunt assessment of the state of affairs. And as the schools get more and more involved in this, as they get closer to these NIL deals, closer to these collectives, I think we might start hearing more of that. Another issue that's been lurking for a while is as the schools get more involved, the likelihood that this brings into play Title IX issues. And if the schools are essentially providing these benefits to athletes, then just like with the rest of benefits, they would have to be given out equitably to male and female athletes. And at least in many schools or many collectives, it appears right now that male athletes are getting much more than female athletes. And then, of course, there's still Congress watching drafting legislation, introducing bills every now and then. But 
this messy, chaotic area continues for now. And one of the issues that's been raised, really haven't been a lot of focus on, is what's in place to protect the athletes if a deal goes bad? And if a company falls short on its NIL promises, we saw a little bit of that with Jaden Rashada and his recruitment to first Miami, then Florida with millions of dollars allegedly being offered and then falling through. We've also now seen it over at BYU. And you might recall that BYU was one of the first schools to have their athletes involved in NIL deals in part because Utah does not have an NIL law. So they were able to do things that perhaps other states weren't willing to do or schools weren't willing to do. So some of the players over at BYU claim that they were promised a deal under the now defunct marketing company called Ohana X that had reportedly set up a deal for the players to promote a failed crypto platform, FTX. And the players said that they weren't paid under another deal that planned to sell their NFTs. And then lastly, with BYU athletes, one of the first big NIL deals was with Built Bar which had been a big supporter of BYU Athletics, they agreed to give NIL money in the exact amount of the tuition for walk-on football players, and then to give all football players a certain amount of money. Apparently, they did get paid that money, but the players are arguing that they were told that they would get a portion of the profits from the BYU-branded protein bar called Cougar Tail, which, as I understand it, and Eric, I know you're a big fan of Built Bars is a maple donut flavored protein bar and that they haven't received any of those profits. The Built CEO said that he never promised them a share of the profits. Instead, he said that part of the profits would go to a discretionary fund for use by the team's head coach, which he claims they have done. So we will see what plays out there, but I think this is probably just the beginning of stories where athletes are unhappy with either the deal or the execution of the deal for their NIL rights. And NIL is certainly not the only issue that the NCAA is facing. And another item we've talked about in the past quite a bit is is antitrust. And there's a couple of cases going on right now, one of which is filed by, both of which are filed by former volunteer coaches. And one of them, which involves a number of college, former college wrestling and track coaches, they have argued that the NCAA's rule, which limits the number of coaches that a team can have, amounts to an illegal wage fixing agreement. The NCAA recently filed a motion in that case in response, arguing that the coaches haven't actually shown that they lost any money or that the schools would have hired them as coaches for pay in the absence of the rule. In other words, if they weren't volunteers, they haven't proven that the schools would have taken them on board at all, among other issues. Again, this case is very similar to another one filed in November by former volunteer baseball coaches. And before you continue, it is amazing that Tennessee is facing all these lawsuits from their coach. Yeah, why is that? Volunteers, Tennessee volunteers. Oh, no. no. How did I miss that? I missed a softball there. Okay, thank you for smashing that one out out of the ballpark. More sports puns. Okay. The NCAA is not the only one, though, who's dealing with volunteer worker issues because in Florida, the perhaps national capital of golf courses, a group of golf course volunteers has filed a lawsuit arguing that they qualified as employees 
of a Palm Beach course that because they were compensated by receiving unlimited and heavily discounted rounds of golf. They're saying that was a compensation that qualifies as an employee. Now they lost that suit at the district court level, and now they are appealing to the 11th circuit. So we'll keep an eye on that one as well. Switching gears from college sports and moving to the intellectual property corner of the podcast. Wait, before we move on though, are you claiming that Florida is the golf capital of the U.S.? Without having thought about it at all before I said that, yes. I'm going to go with one of the Carolinas. I don't know oh, you think so? Maybe Myrtle Beach, maybe Phoenix, Scottsdale. Florida would certainly be up there. Yeah. Now, Florida considers itself the world golf capital, but I don't know. What to think about that? I think the Hall of Fame is there. Maybe. I'm also not sure of that either, but I'm going to stick with Florida. We'll have to do some Googling and debate that. <clears throat> But switch, so switching gears to the intellectual property corner, we got a quick list of updates for you all. First, there's a couple of trademark cases worth keeping an eye on. The first one is close to home for us in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers filed an opposition to a trademark filed by our New Orleans Saints over the term crew, which is spelled K-R-E-W-E, the colloquial spelling. So New Orleans specifically sought to trademark the term Saints Cheer Crew. And Tampa says that this is too close to the trademark it already has over the term just crew by itself. And it's interesting, not only because NFL teams don't often step on each other's trademark toes, but also because, as you pointed out on Twitter this week, the term crew with the K-R-E-W-E spelling has been used here in New Orleans since at least the 1800s to refer to Mardi Gras social clubs. So, yeah. And it's also as the trademark question is about likelihood of confusion in most cases. And I just find it hard to believe that anyone would be confused into thinking that the Saints cheer crew is somehow associated or affiliated with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This just seems like a stretch, both in terms of the word itself and then also just the the geographic sector, you can have geographic trademarks. It's less common these days where the world is so small. But this just seems, as you said, again, an odd case because it's between two NFL teams and also over a word that maybe kind of who dat that maybe doesn't belong to anyone, that it's just out there and it doesn't serve a trademark function. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if this case goes away quietly. And I'm again, I'm not sh- quite sure why the Bucks even started this fight. Yeah, no, I, that makes sense. And I think this sort of just cements us as the capital of the capital of NFL trademark controversy. There you go. This is the, uh, the Capitals podcast. Okay. So last week, another trademark issue, a baseball grip manufacturer called Pro Hitter has filed a lawsuit claiming that Another company named Franklin Sports has been misleading consumers by giving them the impression that major league players using the pro hitter product are using Franklin's product, which is called the Gator Grip. And pro hitter claims that Franklin actually displayed images of Aaron Judge using the pro hitter product on Franklin's Amazon storefront page. So that suit was just filed. We'll see how that one unfolds. Okay. Continuing with IP, the USPTO recently denied the Washington Commanders trademark request for their name, the Commanders. 
the USPTO claimed the name created a likelihood of confusion, which we're just talking about, with a college football game between Air Force and Army known as the Commander's Classic, and also to two other applications for the names Washington Space Commanders and Washington Wolf Commanders that were both submitted, as you might recall, a couple of years ago by a gentleman who I think maybe politely can be known as a trademark squatter. He had said that he'd give up the rights to the team for no charge, that he was just trademarking them for sport or just to protect Washington in case they wanted to use one of those names. But for now, at least, there's a stumbling block for the NFL commanders because of these pre-existing filings and claims. I'm not sure how much of an obstacle it will turn out to be, but like with most things with the commanders, it's not going smoothly quite yet. One more quick update on the commanders. Following up a story from our last rundown, a lawsuit filed by former Duke basketball great Brian Davis's company over a purported bid to purchase the commanders was voluntarily withdrawn yesterday. And there's been a lot of talk about Brian Davis in the news, including whether his bid was legitimate, how much money he actually had, where that money was coming from. And so the latest news is that he has withdrawn that lawsuit, which seems to, again, actually create a, an unusually clear path of success for the Washington commanders. We'll see if that continues. Next up in horse racing, Hall of Fame horse trainer Bob Baffert, who was suspended last year by the Churchill Downs racetrack in Louisville, Kentucky. He had sued to try to overturn that suspension, and the court recently disagreed with Baffert and upheld the suspension by dismissing his lawsuit. Baffert had argued that the suspension violated his property and due process rights, but the court disagreed, noting that despite his suspension, Baffert was able to win over a million dollars in other races at other tracks. You'll recall that suspension was handed down after one of Baffert's horses Medina Spirit failed a drug test following his win in the 2021 Kentucky Derby, and the horse sadly died in a workout later that year, and the Derby win was ultimately nullified. On to sports torts. A photographer who was pushed by Las Vegas Raiders star wide receiver Devontae Adams as he walked off the field at Arrowhead Stadium following a loss to the Chiefs has filed a civil lawsuit against Adams as well as against the Raiders and the Chiefs and anyone else he can find who has deep pockets. The company who manages the stadium and the stadium security staffing company. Adams was cited with a misdemeanor after the incident. The next court date is scheduled for June 26th. And Adams apologized to the photographer on Twitter after the game, but apparently his Twitter apology was not enough to fend off this civil lawsuit. Yeah, so moving on to the Diamond Sports bankruptcy saga, which I think we've talked about just about every week on this po- on this segment. So major news recently, actually, in, in the baseball side of this ordeal is that Diamond declined to make its required payment to the San Diego Padres earlier this week, which means that the Padres broadcast rights have reverted to the team. So Diamond has shown its last Padres game, and in the immediate future, the team and league announced that Padres games will be free on the MLB TV app through this Sunday. 
So this is really significant because the Padres are now the first major league baseball team to partner with the league to offer this direct to consumer streaming, which doesn't have blackouts. And it's these streaming rights that are ultimately a big issue in the bankruptcy. The league is excited about this because they say that the move will more than double the reach of the Padres in terms of homes that the games will be broadcast to. And then Diamond, in response, released a statement saying that it was disappointed that MLB forced our hand by its continued refusal to negotiate for those streaming rights for all the teams in Diamond's portfolio. And Diamond said that it would continue broadcasting games for all of the other teams under its existing contract. So right now it's just the Padres, but potentially indicator of what MLB would like the streaming baseball landscape to look like going forward. Yeah. And I also think even more broadly than that, it reflects the potential continued crumbling of cable television and the cable sports package and the importance of streaming. And that's, again, as you mentioned, what this fight was all about is over the streaming rights because Diamond Sports recognized how valuable the streaming rights were, particularly compared to the cable TV rights. And Major League Baseball was not willing to just give those up. And so whether they continue to go direct to consumer with streaming, we've heard that ESPN might be going direct to consumer with streaming, all part of this potentially massive shift or ongoing massive shift in TV generally, but TV sports more specifically. And speaking of sports TV, one of the biggest sports TV personalities and former NBA great Hall of Famer Shaquille O'Neal was finally served with a lawsuit by former FTX investors. And you might recall a bunch of athletes and celebrities were sued, claiming that they improperly promoted the platform. So other defendants are Tom Brady, Steph Curry, Hayao Tani. And in all of these cases, you have to actually physically serve notice of the lawsuit. You have to give them the lawsuit. And this is typically not a newsworthy part of any lawsuit, at least not in the last 40 years. But in this case, Shaq actually managed to dodge service for months, according to the plaintiffs, including one incident that was apparently captured on his home video cameras, where the process server threw the papers at Shaq's passing car. And perhaps fittingly, he was ultimately served inside the Miami Heat's home arena, formerly sponsored, of course, by FTX. Yeah, and last but not least here from the Premier League, and this is really broadly more about the ongoing fight between major league sports leagues around the world against illegal internet streamers who are broadcasting games illegally. And recent news from England was that five English men received jail sentences for their part in a pretty vast illegal streaming operation. And the ringleader actually received over seven years in prison and a fine of nearly a million pounds. He was running a streaming operation called Dreambox that reportedly was broadcasting to over a thousand bars and homes. And the Premier League released a statement saying they were pleased with the outcome and reiterated the seriousness of these piracy crimes, which I think is evidenced by the seriousness of the jail terms handed out. 
Okay. And now last, but truly not least, our Bram Van Polen corner. For those of you who've been following along with us, the Dutch second division soccer team, PEC Zwolle's season ended on May 19th, obviously. They finished second, earning promotion back to the Dutch top flight league. And the captain of the team and of this podcast, Bram Van Polen, had another incredible campaign, finishing with one goal and four yellow cards, but started in 35 of their 38 matches. And we know you can't really determine Bram Van Polen's impact from just looking at the stat sheet. You have to look deep inside your heart and your mind. We look forward to next year, Bram's final season. As he joins celebrated sports heroes, Derek Jeter, David Ortiz, who announced their final season in advance. Expect tributes all next season in the Dutch League and particularly on this podcast. First, we lose Ted Lasso. Now we're going to lose Bram Van Polen. It's a lot for us to take, but we will shoulder on and continue to provide news updates. And as I mentioned, under a newly rebranded podcast name starting in the middle of June. Eric, thank you as always for joining. And I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Tulane Center for Sport and RitVest. I'll have to tell Eric what RitVest is at some point, but thank you as always to RitVest. And thank you all for listening to Between the Lines.